You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Vellante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. Hey everybody, this is Ken Vellante, host of Something Rather Than Nothing podcast with a special panel. The Swamp Thing Rather Than Nothing episode, which has been a, a few months in the making. And... Uh, have some wonderful uh, podcast uh, guests from the show uh, going back uh, who serve on this uh, special uh, panel. I wanted to first introduce M. Grebnagatis, host of Rooted Pod. And uh, M, welcome onto this panel. Uh, and we appreciate your expertise. But uh, tell us about that expertise and uh, why Swampin? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Ken, for having me. I was introduced to Swamp Thing when I was a bit younger. I was probably 18 or 19 at the time. Um, And I had been really into other kind of, I guess some people would call them B-tier superheroes. So think like the Red Bee and Aquaman. But when I found Swamp Thing, it really connected with all the things I love about plants and nature and just really like considering who we are and what our role in nature is. So I've loved him ever since. Love it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And um, we got two Kens on this panel and uh, uh, the great painter, uh, Kenneth Nicholson, uh, educator uh, in, in the arts. Uh, he is uh, within this episode known as Swamp Ken, and he, he assumed that moniker in pre-programming very, very quickly and uh where's it well so uh swamp ken besides it being part of your name um what uh why swamp thing what uh what what gets you on this panel i mean your enthusiasm and knowledge but tell us about it well uh thanks for having me swamp thing's always been uh incredibly interesting to me i the first my introduction to swamp thing came from the uh 1990s cartoon uh so for as fascinating as the animation style and just the kind of like bonkers nature of the show uh, i've always been interested in like finding like new iterations of swamp thing whether that be like the comic books or the like live action films as well seems as as i've been developing my own tastes and preferences in the art swamp thing has always found a way to um, be part of whatever I'm obsessing over at the time. Really enjoy it. Really love it. And uh, folks, just so you know, Swamp Ken and I have talked a, a bunch about uh, some future work on The Thing, uh, The Thing, the movie, um, uh, uh, which I believe is just about uh, one of our, if not our favorite movies, uh, shared equally. Swamp Ken and Ken Absolutely. Blonde, your, your, your host. Uh Hey, uh, Craig Randall. Uh, Craig, it's nice, nice to see you. Um, and uh, uh, lend us your voice as to uh, why Swamp Thing. Uh, what what pulls you. you into this zany panel? Oh man, right about. I think I saw the original TV series that came out in like ninety and ninety one. You know, being a kid of the, you know, back when when cable was a thing and and. I was just developing, I think, my absolute obsession for monsters in general. 
And then I, you know, grew up with Batman and Superman and like, even as M said, like kind of the A-list heroes. But then all of a sudden I saw this thing that was like, wait a minute, he's kind of a hero and he's kind of a monster and he's super obscure. And I just fell in love instantly. Um, and then from that show, you know, I'd seen all the films and everything over the time, but it was really the comics that over times kind of drew me in more. Um, I write, you know, novels and poetry. So I think naturally that written word part of it um drew me in and then i'd read the alan moore run years and years and years ago amidst other things and then uh i had just reread that whole thing again and it was interesting how 15 years later reading it as an adult having a much firmer understanding of some um, some of the big core issues of the world um kind of made me realize like holy smokes he's more important now than he's ever been as a character um and I'm I'm excited to see how that continues to develop. So happy to be here in this absurd corner of the world with you guys. Yeah, love it. And um, you know, overarching the the question uh, will be will be hovering around is you know why Swamp Thing's important. And some of the uh, comments that Craig just made about uh, you know why more increasingly culturally, I mean, within the the DC universe uh, having uh, a Swamp Thing movie, which is, I mean, just fantastic to think about the scale of it and to be scared of, you know, what happens, like what would happen with that. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, so uh, and I think with the Alan Moore, you know, just so listeners, not everybody's going to be as jacked on um, Swamp Thing as, as we are, but. Uh, Alan Moore, I mean, for me, is a, a visionary writer, uh, mm -hmm. uh, both in writing his uh, uh, novels um, and for truly uh, just busting apart the comics form, uh, many people think, yeah. newer comic horror, right? The things yeah. I love, uh, Sandman, uh, Doom Patrol, Shade the Changing Man, just... And so folks know anybody who's not really into comics um, during the Alan Moore run, there were shocking issues, shocking in content, um, which could not have been uh, could not have passed the, the comic code authority at the mm -hmm. time. during that run. Uh, you didn't see uh, the code on there, which was a radical and dangerous move within the 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 publishing so alan moore within the 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 medium and the genre uh has a big when you're talking swamp thing it's it's you're talking big about alan moore and of course um len ween and bernie wrightson uh mm -hmm. creators so um just wondering i see a lot of uh you know um uh, responding to um, some of the things about Alan Moore. Uh, anybody uh, on the panel have uh, some additional comments about Moore or the, um, you know, kind of some of the, what the comics did to create what we see as kind of like this. Yeah. Our genre. Well, and it's interesting, like Alan Moore, it was, I didn't realize till reading through it. Uh, and even Swamp Ken mentioned like Constantine and Hellblazer, kind of some of the other more, it's interesting that those names kind of became bigger, right? Had their own larger runs, more popular runs, um, but more created those characters in Swamp Thing. Like I did not realize, I, I was introduced to Constantine through Sandman. I did not know that more created uh, Constantine in this run, in his run of Swamp Thing. But it was like a, it was like a MacGuffin character. He's like, I just need this like Obi-Wan Kenobi character to come along 
and teach Swamp Thing what he's actually capable of because he was bored of kind of the previous two runs and he wanted Swamp Thing to evolve to be something bigger. And he's like, oh, I'll just create this magic guy like in the corner of the DC universe to like coach Swamp Thing. And it's just interesting how... And then, yeah, he, he you know, more did a lot of things with race. There's an entire 25-page issue, right, where Swamp Thing and this human woman, like, have, like, plant sex, and it's awkward, and it's really strange. And I think that was the one that was, they split, like, kids can't read this. So, and then we had Vertigo and all these other companies just split the comic book industry, right? But, and then ironically, like every single iteration of, not ironic at all, actually, every iteration we see of Swamp Thing in movies and comics is more based on the more one because he was the one that kind of opened the character up. So most of our familiarity with Swamp Thing outside of different comic book runs is actually more based on Alan Moore. That's what I'm, ex I'm intrigued about the new movie. I want to see where they take it, which character they borrow from. And because there are very different, there's different names, there's different characters. They all become a Swamp Thing. They all have different stories. Some of them retain their human nature. Some of them lose it entirely. Um, that's kind of, I have some questions for M later down the road. Or I wanted to Ooh. like just that idea of there's a spectrum of Swamp Thing, right? Where my favorite version, which is the more one, like by the end of his run, like his humanity is like all but gone. Um, and he is just like the champion for the world, like the green, the the plants. And I love that because I think I would piss a lot of humans off who see themselves above kind of plant life. But it kind of oh, yeah. it, it asks this question of like, what is life? What's more important? I don't know. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I'm like yeah, I'm really excited to get into that. I think there's a lot of really interesting ways we can even tie into like what my theory of what I think Swamp Thing would be made of fits into that kind of unrelenting force of nature and where we fit into that. So yeah, thrilled to talk through that with you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's um let's 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 make sure we uh dive into that and 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 who knows when and like I told you, I mean, any yes. of you, uh, let's let's jump in because I found it difficult in even thinking about prepping for this program, not because your capabilities or anything, but my thinking of how many swamp things I have in my friggin' head because mm. of having read over time of looking at the original 10 issues, uh, which which have many key elements mm -hmm. to the story, but is of a different era and of a beautiful different old uh, older comics vibe horror vibe um but um one of the things i wanted to say when it comes to um uh when it comes to uh just like this whole this whole idea of what swamp thing is is that whole relationship with like humanness or humanity which you could see within the film and you can see mm -hmm. in, in in other places or whether is the uh, plant avatar and one of the most fascinating elements i found and uh, i was listening to various uh, podcasts and some videos and one of them was trying to assess swamp things power like how powerful is swamp thing oh. and what i found deeply fascinating is that there was a story thread that now I'm gonna sell it. I'm obviously gonna sell it. I'll say that right <laughs> at the beginning, right? Because of the, because of the name of the show. But they were they were talking about 
uh, power of creation, right? And so it's when you start to think about that, you try to start to think about, okay, you know, like kind of the question of something round enough, like where does everything start? Why did, does an explosion of something happen and or whatever, however you decide to answer that question. But they were following, the story was following the threads of going all the way back to like the Big Bang, like the Swamp Thing. Mm. And they were going over certain aspects of what Swamp Thing has done on the basis of power. And it is nothing less than godlike uh, when yeah. extrapolated from its source. And yes, true and intuitively true in my head, but I hadn't fucking thought of that. Like, I hadn't been like, yo, mm. like, he, you know, is swamping God. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I think that raises like a lot of interesting things when we look at it from an ethnobotany perspective, because throughout time in a lot of cultures, plants and like mystical beings are gods are like mm. inseparable and plants are directly tied to gods. So I think that's really an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. I was like when you were describing that at first, Ken. My first thought was almost like, like God, like a deity. But then it's like, wait a minute, that means Swamp Thing is the deity, <laughs> like is, um, which you can I can almost imagine like when you talk about like indigenous species, like him being like the representation of that worship. I want there's yeah there's an interesting story running there. Yeah, um, uh, Swamp Ken, Um, we were talking in general about the Alan Moore run and and, and all this there, and I, I I I noticed you know you responded to that. I just wanted to hear your thoughts about how you know that that big more thing because that that pulls you in like many of us here, everybody on the panel, the more run. What what's going on there for you? Well, I think like anything with Alan Moore, I am going to be. Like I was introduced to the work, usually I would be interested with something like The Watchmen, which is like the visuals. And then even even though I came for the visuals, I stayed for just what you said, that evolution, mm. the story, how it unfolds. and always has so many, not even like twists and turns, but just such an immense amount of detail and information, even with something like From Hell. It's just like a tome of Ooh. information. And even something like Swamp Thing, where we might look back on it as being like, he is absolutely a B-tier kind of like superhero, but there's so much more, not even kind of like lore, but just so much character there as well. And I think Moore did such a great job showing how vast that particular story could be. It's, yeah. it's massive, you know. He's a more as a universe creator, right? So, yeah. I'm like, just on a on a creative level, like I didn't realize. Again, I was reading all. I love the the newest version of the the more run, the saga of the swamp thing. Has all these introductions by all these other you know history of it, and I didn't realize. I thought he wrote that and finished that. And then went and wrote all the seminal work, like as Swamp Ken was saying, like the the seminal, you know, Watchmen made comic books credible, like to the general populace, right? And like, I didn't realize until I was reading through that, he wrote every one of those major things from Hell, V for Vendetta, Watchmen, intermittently as he was writing Swamp Thing and like revolutionizing. He did it all at the same time. And I'm just like, what a wonderful psycho. Like, how do you yeah. do So... All right, we've gotten to the massive 
heights of the thought that you can find in Swamp Thing. But I'm going to start talking about the movie in 1981. <laughs> okay? Is Swamp Thing God to Swamp Thing 1981, directed by Wes Craven? Okay, folks. I want to say uh, eh, it's going to be tough to describe. But um, what I want to do is kind of give uh, listeners and you my, my general summary of, of, of what I think this movie is. Um, and um, it, it's filled and riddled with problems. Um, uh, some which could make it unwatchable for some. And uh, uh, it matters the attitude that you bring into it. And, 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 and Swamp Ken is, is I get, must affirm, is... is, is, is raising his hand and and what's interesting about this is swamp ken prior to recording kind of let us know that this is not his favorite movie at all but in all fairness swamp ken and everybody i want to tell you what i think it's about and uh kind of frame us during the time i watched it i i i want to tell you i thought of um, at least six or seven subtitles that I wanted uh, kind of have under Swamp Thing. And I want to tell you two that I started with. One was A Monster Was Born. That's great, right? This other one is Oh Shit, There Goes the Neighborhood. <clears throat> Which was a catchphrase that I think uh, towards the end of that movie. But uh, this was directed, uh, written by Wes Craven, a uh, famous uh, film director. Um, within the horror genre and um, has Lewis Jordan as arcane, uh, the enemy mm -hmm. representation. And I find Lewis Jordan's performance and his dialogue to be one of the more confounding mysteries in, in, in cinema. I don't know what to make of it. I don't, it, it is, it feels very movie -y an actor trying to do a movie -y type of thing that is tongue in cheek and the outcome of that. I don't know. <laughs> also starring Adrian Barbeau, uh, famous, uh, uh, actress, uh, in the late seventies and eighties, I believe she makes a reprise on the newer TV show, uh, which I'm not as familiar, but I believe Adrian Barbeau is a part of that cast. Adrian Barbeau spends much of this movie being threatened running fleeing being captured fleeing being threatened being drowned being ignored being shot at being karate chopped across her neck uh adrian barbeau uh plays the character cable who is a new agent coming into the swamp and the bayou so what has happened at the beginning of this movie is you feel something goofy's going on. There's these kind of 1980 rogue type of military elements coming into what seems to be a government compound, a small government compound in the swamp uh, research station. Cable is flown in. This is Adrian Barbo. And she uh, comes out and she's in a, I'd say, Washington, D.C., 1981 professional, professional Washington, you know, business suit. And she's going into the swamp. Now, it seems right off the bat that the people who filled her position previously were eaten by crocs or something weird has happened. I mean, this is like a high death rate. She's replacing somebody who just died. They're looking at her being like, don't get too used to her. She might not be around soon. 
Uh, very quickly, we're introduced to a wonderful, in my opinion, wonderful performance uh, by Ray Wise of Twin Peaks uh, fame, who played Leland Palmer. Uh, he plays Alec Holland, who, of course, within one iteration of Swamp Thing is uh, there's an explosion there. He runs out, is into the water, and there's some sort of transmogrification or connection with the swamps and water, which creates Swamp Thing. Ray Wise is the scientist. And uh, I tell you, for me, Ray Wise's performance, he rings every, every, every little piece of juice out of every line doesn't overdo it, says, I, I think this is what this character is, and, and he hits it. There's a way too fast romantic entrance <laughs> as soon as Adrian Barbeau cable comes into, and there's also a misdirection where you think that uh, Holland's sister, the other Dr. Holland, uh, is his sister, and you think for a little bit if he missed something that that's his wife. So it's a weird little romantic weird thing going on there. Everybody, you good so far, panel? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I just want to add real quick when you talked about how quick that romance was established with uh, Ray Weiss. I think it's even more pronounced because he's acting batshit crazy the entire time. I think for like as charismatic and as, as handsome as Ray Weiss is, he just has like this. Maybe it's just like the Twin Peaks of it all and I can't shake it off, but he just has this like sinister nature to him uh, that even when he's playing the protagonist, I can't. You, you can't you can't get there. Right. Because here's the thing. What's this movie uh, and, and watching it so many times and I watch it with a keen focus when you kept looking at it is this pervasive 1980s cinematic threat to women. It's like. It's like, okay, one foot's coming out the door and I'm going to be insulted and called abroad of what she's doing here. And the last person died before here. You're not dressed for the swamp. And the most confounding piece that drove me nuts when I first saw this movie in the theater and then on cable television 8 billion times, probably about 25 to 30, was that cables going around and there's a section there's a section three there's a rudimentary radio shack security system and sector three uh she's introduced to the plant and and for me i i'm not a familiar with the security but sector three is buzzing it's going bah, 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 and every time you see sector three like i'm not an expert i'm like the thing that's saying pay attention to me something going on in sector three she is brushed off with her concerns at half a billion times, maybe six times, seven times. Hey, what about sector three? Oh, the guy was out there trying to fix it. And that's what went wrong. Hey, can we go to sector three? Well, go on a boat. Maybe somebody will take you on a boat to go see sector three. I'm concerned about the, the sector three. Nothing. So nothing ever happens. It's a tough role. Now, one thing with regards to Cable, and here's where I had hoped, and it's never realized in the movie. There's an early scene when you see Adrian Barbeau being fucking badass Adrian Barbeau. And there's a couple scenes in a row where she, like, fights the captor, knees him. And I'm like, holy shit, she's going to be like Sigourney Weaver, like, alien. Mm. Like, she is going to, like, she's going to be overcome. She's dealing with a group of, like, aggressive men, but... But that completely disappears, like that that potential for development where she's just like, um, so, you know, she's 
captured and escapes, captures and escapes. I have a oh. note in right here that says, Barbo kicks ass. <laughs> and she does for, for a few a minutes. Yeah. Is that just a reflection of the time? Like, you watch, it's funny watching older movies with my, like, now 10 and 8-year-olds, and you're just like, oh, that's a terrible depiction of of women or this or that and it's one of the reasons i'm intrigued with the two you know the 2025 upcoming swamp thing movie i'm like what is um abby cable's role going to be in that how are they going to update that because she in the comic book she's pretty it's that that same thing even more brilliant more there's kind of this victim mentality right to that character so i mean if any you almost have to look at that lens like Wes Craven trapped in the 80s mentality, but also it's in the source material. Uh, yeah, and I think we even look back at Wes Craven in some of those earlier films. And one of the things I was kind of surprised about with Swamp Thing was that it still seemed to have that kind of like mean spiritedness that is just like hmm. in built into those early Craven films, which always kind of confounds me because I always think about nightmare on elm street and you get this just like savant of a director who feels so effortless with how he is elevating the material past just like a, a genre film but you go back into some of those earlier films like last house on the left is like there's like just or hills have eyes like just a real nasty Brutality. nasty kind of yeah, and almost like real nihilistic, especially when it comes to women. That just mm. makes it, ooh, it's real rough to watch. Almost like vindictive or purposeful, right? Oh, yeah, almost. Like, and you, this like, can only like, be done with intention, and that's not okay. <laughs> like, I think Wes Craven, too, from what I've read, like, tried to, I think it's just like of the era, especially within the 70s, that he was trying to sometimes make comments or like a reference uh like the united states is like treatment of women and and kind of through shock, his like shock culture shock culture kind of but it just doesn't land and i don't know if it like you said like if it landed better at the time but it seems there's like a, an odd kind of clunkiness with that that kind of is throughout this film probably would have been overlooked at the time Exactly. I don't think anyone probably shot. had it. I didn't notice shit. I'm just a nine-year-old boy in 80s America. Yeah. I, I mean, I my you know, my mom's enlightened and I like to think I'm smart, but I didn't know fucking jack shit. I didn't notice shit. Like just, well, I'm, just watch, I'm just watching Swamp Thing, you know? Yeah. Like, it wasn't like I'm like, oh, I'm just like, okay, the women's in peril and she'll be in peril the whole movie. I don't well, I almost wanted to throw in Ken uh, to the two Kens. I love the even the dichotomy you guys are of loving this film versus mm, let's leave it behind. Like, but I think there's something really powerful about because um, me, if I were to watch that movie right now for the first time, you know, it'd be pro even as I love Swamp Thing, it'd probably be like, oh yeah, this is garbage, right? Mm -hmm. But there are movies that I watched when I was a kid. That I when you couldn't tell if something was garbage yet, you know, you don't have the uh the taste yet or anything to compare it off of. And it's funny how like even like Batman and Robin, like the movie that killed the Batman franchise, it is one of the worst movies ever made. But I was still, however, young enough to not know that when it came out. 
So I can still watch that movie and be like, it's terrible, but I love every second of it. Um, which is a weird, weird thing to think about. But I want there's there's almost something like pure about that, Ken, that I, I love like it is such a staple for where you were. And that almost makes me love it more. Now, when I go to watch the movie now, I'm gonna sit there and my lens is gonna be Ken Vellante loves this movie. Therefore, well, I want to I want to tell you I want to tell you about this and I want I want to ask him something. I want to tell you yeah. about this though, too, with with regards to the movie. I would say that. Let, let's skate in some weird territory and I'll get to it of, you know, enjoyment and, and the fact that I believe and I'll tell you what I like about the movie, too. I'll get to that. But I'll tell you, what is it to enjoy components where there is a heart of darkness in the middle of it? And the reason why I say that is the one thing when uh, Swamp can mention this nihilism, I hadn't put that word together, but it goes back to these like clumsy ass lines uh from arcane which is for me when i heard them and being a philosopher this is like um nazi nietzsche right and like not to get the whole like nietzsche philosophy Ooh. i mean I, I i adore nietzsche's philosophy i have a particular take on it but this when you're hearing these lines this is the heart like this is the heart the piece that i think really annoys swamp ken is like i wrote it down I wrote down the ethos of the movie is a Nietzsche as Nazi ethos of like the evil or that's around. It's like it's the misinterpretation. It's the powerful man. It's the stomping out. And God forbid if a woman tries to exist in this kind of nihilism, in this kind of constant threat. What about this, Em? You saw the campy elements of this. And I, I'm not telling you, what, you know, like oh, yeah. what, what the hell, what the hell is your take on all this? So it was interesting, Craig, when you mentioned like being able to watch the movie and kind of have that lens of like, this is Ken Vellante's like, there's a soft spot in his heart for this film and for why, because like he watched it when he was younger. That was my experience of watching this movie. So I watched it probably, gosh, I want to say three weeks ago. And if I had not known that this was like near and dear to Ken's heart, I don't know that I would have given it the grace of seeing the camp because there were parts that like, as a woman, especially a woman who's very interested in science, it's hard to watch her get forced to like tromp around the swamp in a business suit and constantly be told she doesn't know what she's talking about. And then like fall in love with the scientist because like essentially he's just framed as a big hottie and not like someone who's smart and capable of caring about her. And then just kind of watching her get literally thrown around the swamp forever by various people. Like that was hard to stomach. But at the same time, knowing that Ken loved this movie and kind of picturing like what would it have been like for me as a child watching this movie I can definitely see like the kind of like funnier campy aspects that I think come with a lot of that 1980s kind of old school lower budget horror yeah and 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 here's here's the piece here's one some of the things I want to I want to tell you about it and because I think it's I think it's super I think it's 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 super complicated like this 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 whole area because I, like, I think there's part of me and the, the the early cable fighting element, like, is so important, like, to me because, like, that's how I saw her develop. And then I saw her being just, like, overmatched by this environment. And But I know, mm. like, any twist to turn to the best of her ability, she's going to try to fucking think of, like, how to get out of this shit or how to knee somebody in the 
balls or <laughs> swim or whatever. Like the environment's horrible, but the environment's the environment. I want to mention uh, one of the characters I love is Jude, uh, the uh, who's over by the um, the convenience store, um, and. So again, I'm younger when I'm watching this. Uh, I don't know, Jude. Not that I lived in or had friends that ran, uh, <laughs> seemingly run a convenience store in rural South Carolina. I believe this was filmed in uh, Georgia or South South Carolina. I forget. But um, anyways, Jude for me was like a he's like a black Napoleon Dynamite before there was Napoleon Dynamite kind of like. <laughs> dynamic right i don't know if it's his glasses um his trying to pop lines like there goes the neighborhood you know like i just jude for me was um jude was on the screen but he was my friend six blocks away outside of uh running his own convenience <laughs> convenience store or apothecary or uh anyways um one of the most uh, amazing parts of this movie, as we mentioned, is that uh, it's a constant chase. And um, there's some uh, amazing uh, pontoon chases that involve, it feels better when they involve Swamp Thing, because you know Swamp Thing, if he gets blasted, um, he's running through. They're trying to chase him, hunt him down, um, because Cable has, um, the character Cable uh has this last book for this regeneration formula that has been created by Holland. She's important. She's being chased. Swamp Thing is being uh chased. And there's this really um uh interesting part that I loved. And here's a part that I love, right? Simple minded. It's the oh shit part, right? So the pontoon is chasing down, trying to hit Swamp Thing, and the pontoon flips. And it's this just very clumsy, awkward, uncomfortable, oh, shit. <laughs> As the guy's, like, crash into the water. And again, for me, when I experienced that the first 30 times, it's a very satisfying scene. Now, again, I'm younger when I'm watching it. It's ridiculous. But what's also interesting is I had sent the panelists, just so everybody knows, uh, the picture of Swamp Thing that I took a still of right before this scene. And it had to must have done with a special prop or the colors, but it's a different Swamp Thing mask that I felt bad for sending the rest of the panel because that mm -hmm. shit scared me the more <laughs> that I looked at it. <laughs> Um, there are pontoon explosions. This movie is a combination of uh, maybe a nod back to the 1950s monster movies, they say, 60s monster movies. It's uh, a comic book movie. It maybe can't be unintentionally uh, campy. It's a Rambo-type movie. It's a type of movie where you can have a swamp. You can have that there's always these rogue elements infiltr uh, infiltrating an area. Um double agents um i want to tell you another piece of this movie and we got probably five or ten minutes on my take and then we're gonna bring swampy out of 1981 but um one of the things uh that meant a lot to me and this is going to be overblown was uh, through various events and i'm not 
obviously not covering all the plot of this movie. Uh, but Swamp Thing is detained, and there's a lot of detention in this. And in this realm, uh, Swampy is uh, detained, and Cable is detained. And there's this moment where now Swampy, through battle, had his uh, arm, his swamp arm, green arm, cut off. And there's a recognition, uh, Cable and otherwise, that Sun is the the power. It's what gives you life. It what brings forth the green and this power, this was like magic for me as a kid. I'm like, he's growing his arm back. The power of regeneration. Mm. The magic of people dying. And it's fine because Swamp Thing's going to do it. I love that stuff. I want to tell you some more subtitles that I have for Swamp Thing. Everything's a dream when you're alone. <laughs> That's a Swamp Thing uh, reference. Now, remember, Swamp Thing is a very lonely character character right used to be a man uh upon reflection and conversation with cable cable realizes that this is the man that she had very quickly fallen for whatever's going on with that dynamic and that swamp thing who uh still alec holland the chemist scientist in his head is trying to do chemistry uh, and, and M, you probably noticed this with the beakers. Now, what can Swamp Thing do? His hands are <laughs> vegetable, heavy hand. He can't do the finery of, of, of this. But Cable, in a very beautiful line, says, I can be your hands. Mm. Maybe I can be your hands. Um, not sure what that means. Uh, but what happens is um, that the movie also starts to move into a doomed romance, uh, Your Beauty and the Beast. The first scenes you would see in the Wrightson and Lean, uh, Wing comics would be the carrying away, this kind of a folktale, uh, Beauty and Beast can't be together. Um, the uh, sex... Mm -hmm. uh, because it's structured in this particular way I think the main way to most properly understand any sex that happens here is some type of uh, Jesus Christ like uh, take of the body communion where Swamp Thing will pull out a piece of Swamp Thing yeah, and, and I believe this creates a hallucinogenic a separate connected state between the the souls or the energies and when that withers away they go back to each other and they've been able to commune or consummate the plant human and the human do i have that right did i capture that right to everybody's understanding from that's the, how it made sense theorist? to me yeah yeah, yeah. You know, like in reading the comic version of it which again is is very graphic for like 20 pages yeah uh, but i remember thinking like i can see why this was banned from like the average comic reader uh but at the same time like i couldn't help but there was like something wonderfully poetic about it like it seemed like when she eats his fruit right that he kind of picked off his body and then she was hallucinating it's almost like she was invited into the green right and this is where I was like intrigued to hear what Emma or M had to say about like the connections of plants and stuff and how they communicate because like 
to me, it was almost like, whoa, this is like so much more intimate than it would have been if they were still two humans. Like they were literally like sharing the same like mind space. Like they weren't even like physically touching, but it was so yeah. much more connected. And to, it almost gave this picture of what like unconscious life is on the planet, right? Like jungles, forests, plants, and like almost, I mean, I now that we have like movies like Avatar, you almost get that sense, right? Of how interconnected these things are. And, and she was invited into that depth um which was really cool yeah i agree and i mean i think that's something that we as humans can sometimes take for granted is like i mean we're not like eating plants and then having sex with them that would be kind of a lot obviously um that would hey, be weird I'm in oregon i'm in oregon speak for yourself <laughs> yeah. right okay i'm not trying to we're i'm not oregon. saying if that's what you're into you know what i'm not no judgment here okay not as long as it's like <laughs> everyone is consenting whatever you want to do but like we do regularly ingest plants and that is an important part of like them giving their life force for like a greater good right like they've developed fruit with the intention of people animals eating that fruit to be able to spread their seed and like therefore continue the cycle of nature and i think that's easy to lose sight of but i also think there's these interesting things that happen with plants and the ways that they can really impact and change our brains so obviously i think the most obvious one with that is when you eat a mushroom with psilocybin in it and the ways that that can literally like chemically change your brain which is really interesting it's interesting that you brought that up because i was going to ask you if you had seen the episode of the tv series hannibal where they have the mushroom episode no. okay so it was when Ken was talking about kind of like how he interpreted Alan Moore's um, like approach to like the union of these two characters, it made me think a lot about how in that episode of Hannibal, they talked about like the mycelium, like reaching out for you as you like step on the ground or like that kind of interconnectedness that we're not even aware of. Um, yeah. <laughs> Man. Yeah, no, I um, I could talk about this for hours. We have a podcast, an episode on Rooted where I actually had some different guests come on and we talk about mushrooms in film. And that's a big thing we talk about is the ways that we're all still very connected with nature and the ways that nature is still very much connected with itself um, and the different ways that we've all co-evolved without us even really having to consciously think about the ways that we've co-evolved with nature and continue to. Uh, well, I didn't think about like my own just day-to-day -day experiences, how much more connected and better I feel when I'm in nature, when I'm eating a more plant-based diet, when I'm engaged in like, uh, yeah, it's just interesting. Like, I mean, thinking of it in the context of Swamp Thing here, right? And especially at that scene, like the more intimate I get involved with nature, the more uh, just better I feel. And even like, like Ken and I were talking, I think on the episode that I came on your show and like most of my poetry came out of like this really, really horrendous mental period of my life. And it's interesting that I started looking to nature, right? Poetry, just day-to-day -day things, rain, all these things, plants, and like how many lessons there are in nature that if we just follow those rhythms, we are better. Yeah and our life like we are more at peace it's like we've forgotten that as a people and i i feel like there's an indirect back door here to like that overarching question of 
why is one thing becoming more relevant? Like, I wonder if there is a piece of that, like we're starting to recognize like we're better. I think culture has evolved, you know, especially at like colonial culture in America. Like we squashed out the indigenous population, but then the more, more and more evolved we get as a culture, it's like all these big things in popular culture right now are kind of like, oh, they had it right. Let's go back. Um, yeah. It's just interesting to me. So, Man, we get into some lofty area. And uh, I, I, I tasked myself with the 1981 movie. I'm going to end up uh, finishing up that recap, but I'm going to jump all the way to what I call the end, the end of the return of Swamp Thing, which I've I also reviewed. And I don't think it's necessary to, to traipse too long in that, but I want to jump all the way to the end of that movie and your rooted podcast uh, and, and the mushrooms because Heather Locklear, who plays Abby Arcane in The Return, the end of that movie around uh, consummation, again, with the animal plant, plant has a, a flower or like a, a sprout start to come out of her foot, like that scene in Midsommar. And I, I, I remember in Midsommar and the scene, if folks have seen it with the, put the flesh disappearing into the plant and um so anyways i saw that if you stick around to the end of the return of swamp thing you see a, a trial a trial of that early uh midsummer scene i think let me finish up the first movie the the higher heights of swamp thing are beyond the movie i had uh i wanted to finish up uh and give quick summary recap of the first movie uh, it's, 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 it's all over the place. Um, but as I mentioned, um, trying to find the last part of the secret regeneration formula that Alec Holland, uh, now Swamp Thing had been working on regeneration formula, every aspect of regeneration we see with this movie, powerful as hell brings the dead back to life, regenerates parts. So pretty popular, uh, and, and useful formula. Uh, this formula is still in um, the experimental stage when it comes to the human. Um, and Arcane, uh, the enemy is set up to Swamp Thing, is getting a better handle on uh, getting this formula. Upon completing this formula, there is a special uh, massive dinner at Arcane's now looking like a 1980s Playboy Mansion Hall. There are extensive TNA cuts. The movie feels really weird at this point because it's just hanging out in this leering area. And of course, uh, our the the cable that is is cabled to her chair. She is tied to the chair. It is a grand betrayal here because Bruno, who is a kind of a uh, maybe Eastern European looking tough with a tight white turtleneck as part of security forces. Bruno unwittingly has been served this, this serum uh, as an experiment as the guest of honor. So not good to be the guest of honor at this dinner. Okay. So we have cable secured there. We have this going on. Bruno turns into a horrific beast and, um, this one fried itself into my brain when I was a kid. Cause when I watched it again, I was like, holy shit, that's what happens to Bruno. He's kind of 
just changes and uh, transforms and jumps around. And there's this really insulting line that comes after it that it's like the serum, you know, this formula will show what's deeply inside of you will be reflected physically. And I'm like, this was like the one guy who was always like morally questioned. Uh, Bruno was like looking around and being like, I'm not comfortable with like shooting everybody or he's showing some doubts. And then I'm like, this is the only like one, of the only morally like potentially redeemable like aspects of this. And they're like, say that he transformed into what he really is, which was just bizarre and wrong. And it's like, as a reflection, I'm like, the point was the opposite of that. So that, that that part really upset me and what happened to Bruno upset me although Bruno helps move the story along and helps uh swampy uh and 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 cable get through this uh later peril i'll tell you in this movie that i always wanted cable to cable i wish cable cabled the way she was capable of that's the way i always felt through it mm. um get towards the end uh the the bad scene uh, there was a part here m where bruno is engaging on a lot of funny lines and puns uh as he's trying to get away and disrupt um the, the security that's there it's like hey have a nice trip and and bruno is really disrupting the the progress and helping swampy uh in cable we get to the last major battle scene in <laughs> Folks, this is weird, right? If you've seen the movie, you end up with Arcane having transformed into, uh, I don't know, Swamp Ken. Try to describe what Arcane looks like in the movie, if you can remember. It's a, man, it's a, it's a wolf man or something? It looks like something from that uh, Nothing But Trouble, if you've ever seen that movie. Yeah, yeah, um, that's good. Just oddly out of place. Not... <laughs> intimidating other than just being unsettling <laughs> and i think the ears aren't the ears like the ears haunted my dreams they're awful ah, the ears. Comically, so yeah Ugh. the ears are awful um like here's the thing that kills me in the final scene right and obviously all of us sitting here we want fucking like the universe battle we want like like CGI right now, I want to see like plant versus meat versus like whatever's going on. But we don't get that. We get wolf-like scary ear monster holding a sword. A sword. It would be interesting to be a fly in the wall and see how they came to that conclusion, right? It's terrible. Like, Within the yeah, go ahead, Swamp Ken. I don't know if this was like I because it just like confounds me <laughs> with Wes Craven when I don't know like you go through some every once in a while like someone's filmography something you're just like how are you capable of something that bad <laughs> when I've seen when I've seen you achieve like so I don't know if he was checked out I don't know how far this was from Wes Craven still making adult films and if that was like his bread and butter at the uh, time, because I know that's where he started out under it's like eighty-one. It's early on, still. Um. Yeah. So, because you would think, but then again, comic book movies were not the same thing. So this might not have been thought of as an opportunity. This might have just been 
because it doesn't feel like he's anywhere attached to that film. Um, just like you said, like the way it unfolds, it's so boring for being a Swamp Thing film. Yeah, I think that's like the biggest, should be. Yeah, biggest thing against it is that it's just uninteresting. Well, and like maybe to the two Kens um, or M2, uh, the because the comics, one of the things I loved about Moore's run is he really leans in and pushes the horror element, right? And it's Alec Collins. So like so much of that, those early films and most of his iterations are, are pulled from those comics. But it almost seems like the only thing they pulled was Alec Holland and Swamp Thing. And then everything else kind of, you know what I mean? Is the werewolf there to try to lean into the horror side? Like I don't like you watch those movies and I don't personally think horror, especially 80s horror. You know what I mean? There's, You know what I mean? They just well, kind of took the bare bones of it. Yeah. None of the substance. There's two, pieces. There's two yeah. pieces in there that really speak to me on mm-hmm. it being in horror, even though it's 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 not quite, but they're tripping mm-hmm. out on Friday the 13th. Well, it's actually one year later. They're tripping out on uh Friday the 13th, 1980, and I'll tell yeah. you how they're tripping out on that stuff. It's a swamp, it's a forest, doesn't matter. It's all green around, right? So there's danger around there, and there's an encampment, so there's some interior type of scenes. Okay. Also, Harry Manfredini does the soundtrack. He did the soundtrack for all the Friday right. 13th. Uh, so the audio and the sound and the soundtrack, whether you want it or not, you're thinking of Friday the 13th as well. It is a variation right. of a Friday the 13th. I'll tell you one more that is Friday the 13th is the huge buildup where, of course, Cable being threatened in this particular instance, I think, by being drowned in the lake. Uh, uh, in the in the bog and when swamp thing you're waiting you're waiting she's pulled down you're like uh, you, you know you're there you're like something's gonna happen right now it's building up swamp thing comes out not quite like but like the last scene in friday the 13th with jason popping out of the water shock scare. yeah okay it's not the same and it's almost a little bit better because swamp thing's like boom take my freaking plant hand and whoop yeah. i'm gonna whip your ass out so uh, the piece that with it being about a year and maybe Friday the 13th is maybe uh, part two is somewhere right around this time. The It's weird because there's two horror attempts, maybe. There's yeah. a horror attempt of duplicating what's going on within the genre right there. And there's a horror attempt with the kind of uh, creature from the Black Lagoon, uh, hmm. campy 50s. This is what we're cutting to and we're doing yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's well, like trying in both ways in my in my thinking. Right. What's really fascinating to me about that now we're kind of like trying to connect the dots between what was made around that time. We think about like so the year before the, this was like 1982 in 81 we already got the second Halloween where Michael Myers kind of becomes this otherworldly um, figure. We get the burning which is like all in itself like a big cash in on Friday 13th in terms of like the um like the format we get something like uh fun house which is kind of like always back and forth on people kind of like how they see Toby Hooper with that but at least it's kind of like him creatively kind of trying to move outside of 
um, what he was known for. But we also get the first Evil Dead in like Scanners too. So it's weird to me, like when we look at this film, like kind of all the influences that were bubbling up at the time and perhaps Hollywood starting to kind of see how lucrative horror films can be when you put a bit of time into them or at least a little bit of like faith but man it just even then when we start looking at those other films this one just lands so much more awkwardly it's trying it's like it's like uh even on the thematic or the content or the the writing or the or the lines or the omnipresent nihilism's potential sexual assault i mean the women in the in it are always subjected to that threat near immediately whether it's degradation of of what they're doing and you know that there's there, there's something to be said about like the piece that's just unsavory of like why still so embedded right like the tonal <laughs> like the tonal piece like why why is there no space to even exist with, with within this and it's probably even just the patriarchal payoff of swamping you know yeah doing doing it at the end um but i <laughs> like i said i i got attached to a cable that never that never existed in this movie um we got to move beyond the movies what i want to say about the uh, quickly about the uh return of uh a swamp thing is that i believe uh swamp ken you said you like this one a bit better uh than the other my guess um and you could comment on this would be that uh what it was attempting to do uh it might have more successfully landed um what i would say early on is uh with heather locklear one of the strangest opens in a, in a movie that you'll see um you're thrown into this now you know it's the return of swamp thing but it's you're in 80s la flower shop yeah. uh, where where abby you find abby arcane her, her stepdad is is, is is arcane has flowers there's a um there's a, a slightly annoyed uh distracted uh african-american woman friend or she might work at the store watching tv and watching her stories and uh abby has groups of flowers with names on them and and i'm if you do this em that's totally fine no worries groups of flowers with names on them so they have identities and they have grouped identities and she's talking to them as an audience about guy problems or people problems so it seems as in this dynamic the one who's not paying attention the african-american woman watching her stories that her audience is these flowers and this is kind of like the cold, like open of of introduction to this character, and you can only say, "Whoa, whoa, all right, uh, what's going on here?" Um, that's how it started. It ended with the Midsommar thing. Mind-boggling casting of Heather Lock uh, Locklear in that like part. But I think what I love so much about this movie is like for all the decisions that don't seem to be anywhere in line with the subject matter, like the source material, at least it's interesting in this one that it does kind of veer off into so bad. It's good with it. Um, I'm not even sure who directs this film. I have to double check that. I thought I had that down. Um, 
Swamp Thing drives a fucking Jeep. Yeah. <laughs> he drives a Jeep getaway in this. I'm in. And we get we get these explosions. Boom. Any reason for an explosion, even more than the pontoon boats, which excited me, still excite me from the first one. Explosion. Cars almost spontaneously exploding to blow through the budget. Um, swamp on a Jeep. Like, there's some aspects on there. I, it felt good to me. It felt wrong. It felt wrong. <laughs> I mean, you can so, even just hearing it like this is so I'm, I'm really oh. struggling to picture what's oh. happening over oh. there. Oh, and you can smell the petrol. It's all terrible, but there's some part like it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna do something dirty. I'm gonna watch this dirty thing with Swamp Thing, him fucking burning fossil fuel, fucking rescuing the heroin, taking bazooka shots. Like the huge, yeah. James Cameron uh, action approach to Alien, right? It's like, hey, we're going to shift gears here, and now we're just going to go full on Schwarzenegger. Like, I got to tell you, before I leave all the movies behind and, 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 and we get into the good territory, this is the last, last piece of it. This The Return of Swamp Thing is a truly bizarre movie, and it's really different than the first one. There's these kids in it that are perpetually, like, yelling and angry and bad acting and drinking soda and looking at porno mags and dealing with like monsters and trying to get this shot of swampy with the camera they're always yelling at each other and 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 just upset and the movie forgets about them so every time they pull them back in you're like oh shit the kids have been out there for 40 minutes living on their own where the heck are they now they keep uh, trying to pull them back in. Um, so uh, I don't know uh, what to say about um, the two movies, but I, I, I will say that um, Return of Swamp Thing feels like quite the romp. Uh, Heather Locklear truly diving into maybe damsel in distress she has some pluckiness but it's mostly with her wit she's trying her sol southern LA uh, humor in the American South and uh, the they're not digging the California girl there are threats to her including some backyard bayou boys uh, the American South is depicted in a horrific caricature uh and uh so uh the the southern uh american might uh, not take two elements of this film those are the two films uh folks i i'm trying to hack my well i want to hack my way through that with the machete i would i would carefully maneuver between all plant life uh to get through that slog i just tried to <laughs> with those. i want anybody to say anything about the movies and let's talk alan more just what I think is really interesting about the first and second movie is that when you look at the trajectory of the careers of the guys who directed them, they are polar opposites of each other. So we think of Wes Craven, who like started out doing like low budget adult, adult films to kind of like make his bones as a director. And then over the years, became this really lauded and respected uh, even when he was working within genres, we always kind of thought of him as being able to be exceptional with how he used the genre. Uh, Jim Winorski, I guess, 
yeah. the exact opposite <laughs> career to where his first couple films are going to be what he is remembered for. He did like Chopping Mall, did the oh, yeah. second uh, Swamp Thing. He made Sla uh, Sorority House Massacre 2. And like all these films that are kind of in this cult canon. And then as he developed his career, he started doing like more and more like softcore adult films for like Cinemax and like HBO <laughs> and stuff. And it's like just the exact opposite direction of like up there. Cause it's like you go through his trajectory, it's just early, like late 90s, early aughts, like Skinamax is just like his uh, filmography. And I think that goes into a lot of how he approached this film is that he like had such a kind of slapstick camp way about the material that it didn't feel as out of place, even though he's giving the thumbs up and driving a Jeep and everything like that. There's like a real playfulness to it that I think ages so much better than some of the kind of morose aspects of the first one. All right, Em. Uh, the, 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 come on, tell tell us what tell us what what's going on in that that bean of yours. What's going on? I mean, I haven't seen the second one. I'm honestly still just trying to picture like Swamp Thing driving a jeep. That has oh. really thrown me. That's going to be like a thing for the rest of my day. Thank you. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, but that's really. I mean, we can get into like the plant theories I have. You have to like. now. You have to now. Okay. You have to now, like, well, we've been like. I had to I had to get through those movies in a in the complicated movies. Let's let's there's let's a lot there. Plan. Yeah. Let's let's talk. Okay, plan. okay. So my biggest theory is what is Swamp Thing? I mean, we all know he's kind of supposed to be an amalgamation of like all of the things of the swamp, but my brain can never just like leave it there. A weird fascination I have is like breaking down fictional plants into like what their realistic planty counterparts are or would be. Um, so, of course, I have to do it with Swamp Thing. I can't not. Um, so, my biggest theory is that he's actually comprised of kudzu vine, which is this very specific vine. It's known as the vine that has engulfed the South. It's It takes over everything. Um, so, we actually got it as a gift from Japan as part of, I believe, one of the world's fairs. And it was really popular for a very long time as kind of a ground cover plant because it's truly unstoppable. Can you mention like carefully maneuvering plant matter? Not this thing. You could burn it. You could chop it. It doesn't care. Wow. It will continue growing. It's more prolific than bamboo even. And bamboo at its most vigorous growth can grow probably like a couple inches a day. This stuff can go even further than that. It's wild. And so it literally has engulfed like full buildings and in some instances, if it was allowed to, like, it would engulf full towns. So there's an old Japanese folklore kind of tale that goes around that the reason you need to close your windows at night is because if you don't, the kudzu vine will crawl up into your house and, like, take over your house. Oh, and there are, like, buildings in the south that are absolutely covered with this stuff. And it's prolifically invasive throughout all the American south, including in the swamp. Uh, so for that reason, obviously, we know he can kind of regenerate really quickly and gets a lot of energy from the sun and can kind of exist anywhere. Obviously, most comfortable in the swamp, but he's able to kind of walk on water and like get out of the water and do that kind of stuff. So 
for that reason, I think that's the most likely plant. He could also be Virginia creeper if we want to stick with like native plants to the swamp, um, which is a different, it's kind of a variety of ivy essentially, but is still a prolific vine. But I think he's Katsubine and he is therefore an unstoppable force. Wow. I don't, yes. I don't, I don't know what to do with this revelation. On, on the show. <laughs> I mean, this is this is a humble podcast. Uh, I mean, we always strive for the highest things, but whoa! Uh, Just connecting Swan Thing to that uh, old Japanese like folktale, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he's unstoppable. Thing he's an unrelenting people, force. People in the South warn their close your windows at night, otherwise the Swamp Thing will come get you. Will get you, yeah. yeah. I listened to uh, M's uh, episode on bamboo, and it it, oh, it, yeah. it it frightened me when she was talking about the the tortures of bamboo growing through people. Thank you, M. You thank me You're for welcome. a couple of things, including the first swamp thing directed by Wes Craven. You can thank thank you. I can I can thank you for that one. The bamboo growing through people is a torture, and I immediately thought about you know horror films I want to make, and I'm like shit. I mean, one in there. fingers crossed in the new Swamp Thing thing, maybe they'll show him like shooting vines over people and like growing inside them as some kind of scary body horror. That will scare I, me. Actually, I take it back. I take it back. I don't want to see that. I think I, the show had elements of that. The, I haven't there was seen like, the show yet. There's like two cuts, I think, from like the, the more family-friendly cut and then the one where it's like rated ma for mature because he's like because they'll kind of see you'll see in like the fight scenes they kind of cut fairly quickly but i think in the kind of like unrated version he is like kind of ripping people in half and kind of like uh leaning much more into that kind of like cronenbergian uh part of the story hmm. which i, I think know, is uh, delightful and terrifying yes <laughs> and like the 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 animated DC universe, um, he definitely leans into more. This was like Justice League. He's a member of he's like in Justice League Dark, and he's one of the. Right? He's officially a Justice I, League Dark. I, fucking, member. I love that team. I love that. Team. And and he's just an absolute badass. And it's almost going back to the nihilism, though. It's almost like interesting. Like that character is absolutely, I think, pulled from the more version of it. Um, but then at the at the later end, we're like at the end of at the end of Moore's run, like it's only Abby Arcane that is maintaining any sense of his humanity, right? If it wasn't for her, he would disconnect and just leave humanity behind. But it's interesting in the in those cartoons, like um he could care less about the world. It's a lot of it times is John Constantine tricking him to care about humanity. <laughs> like, hey, the humans are gonna die. So it sounds well, like John Constantine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, in that case, yeah, he's just completely manipulating him, right? Well, in that case, then the and he's like, if the humans die, the plants will be great. What's it's so this is a win, you know? And then he's like, yeah, but then the plants will go after that. And he's like, and then he's vines just going into machines and just ripping things apart and like destroying the industrialization, right? Um, which ends up helping the Justice League or the Justice League Dark and. But that is my favorite part of John Constantine. He's just—I I love you know. that 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 group. The you know the the Justice League, Justice League Dark, and um, one of the th one of the things I found fascinating is um, 
I I I read more. Uh, I've read more issues, more content of Hellblazer Constantine than I have Swamp Thing. And Same. I didn't realize that because I had read a bunch of Swamp Thing when I was younger in different type of periods. But I had was so into Hellblazer Constantine that I almost forgot it was like a Swamp Thing. Like I always knew, but I was almost so into all of uh, all of that Constantine. I went through a heavy period with that. So when in my head they reconstituted or you look at Justice League Dark and the combination recombination of Swamp Thing and Constantine. I love that. And uh, I mean Constantine's fucking great even if you hate him because you know he's he's smoking, he's drinking, he's having sex, he's doing the best possible like spells you can fucking imagine. He's a trickster. He's kind of bad or doing having to do something dirty to kind of get things done for the greater good. It's just like uh, a ton of fun. And when I was looking at the Alan Moore and seeing Cain and Abel in the House yeah. of Mystery and Secrets, I hadn't gone back after, you know, all the game and stuff and Sandman and Cain and Abel characters who show up House of Mysteries, House of Secrets. Um I love how Gaiman just plucked them out of that more. Like you look at them and sometimes it's not the, he's making a creative choice. I am taking these characters and how they are. And now they're in my universe. And I fucking, I just love that. Right. When I thought I would have guessed that Gaiman created them. I think I held that in my head of ignorance. When I, when I read Sandman years ago and then reread it, even when I heard the show was coming, I'm like, Oh, these are such brilliant creations. And this is game and just plucking from the Bible or mythology. And then finding out that Alan Moore actually created them. And I think it was because of Alan Moore when, when the, the switch, right. When, when they had to create, when DC had to create vertigo, like the adult comic. Right. Um, and then the woman that was editing Alan Moore's comic book took that over. And then Alan Moore was like, oh, yeah, you should meet this guy, Neil. He's a pretty great writer and he's got a cool idea for a story. Like Alan Moore is the reason we have Sandman. And it's interesting how much more elevated Sandman grew and became, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think we always, or at least like when it comes to conversations on comic books, it's interesting to like think that Marvel, Max, and Vertigo are sometimes kind of considered like the more like edgelord offshoots of Marvel, and they were. But, man, for, like, the time that they came out, um, they were so incredibly... How do I want to say? They were kind of, like, the catalyst for, like, all of these kind of, like, more edgy or maybe, like, more adult themes, but just, like, the kind of creativity that, the like, the directors and artistic... Um, oh, yeah minds took those like like because you would have some uh like when i would read like the punisher man there's like satire and, and subtlety kind of and that comic is really just about like the brutality of watching this character but like you would have different like constantine um especially when it came to like just talking about smoking and cancer and that's going to be the whole crux mm -hmm. of one of the stories uh really really fascinating how they kind of like not even elevated the medium but showed you the possibilities of it yeah well like all this commentary started becoming a regular thing right and like it yeah. it, it became not just uh and i think that's what separates even the swamp thing run before to moore's right and then why moore's run became so pivotal 
and even like Swamp Thing, different iterations afterwards, you read different like people and some people are just like, oh, I want to go back and, and do this wonderful nod to the original, which is great. But then it like doesn't go down, but it kind of sidesteps what Swamp Thing became. And I think Scott Snyder did a good job with the new 52 reboot. I didn't even realize because I just read his Batman run, right? I didn't even realize until years later Wait, he did, he rebooted Batman, Swamp Thing, and like two others, and like at the same time, and it's just brilliant. I like uh, when Batman and, and Swamp Thing, it always feels like cool. kind of weird, but it always feels like, I don't know, since he was in Batman was one of the early comics, you know, to incorporate um, yeah. the early issues into the universe. Uh, M, you dig on uh, Hellblazer Constantine stuff? Um, not quite as much. I read Alan more, but I read more like Watchmen V for Vendetta after Swamp Thing. I think just because I was in college and that was like mm -hmm. what I had time for. Cool. But going back, I probably will do more of a deep dive into these others. One of the things I love about, but I think I cut someone off. No, I was just saying they're okay. pretty big. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think especially with the, the newer iterations of Hellblazer, they to play with things that had been touched on before, like uh, Constantine being uh, like bisexual, which was something that I think they kind of like worked through earlier on in the comic, but now they kind of like in, in ways of kind of exploring it without being exploitative of what they're trying to do. It's uh, really, really fascinating. Yeah. Uh, what is interesting is you mentioned like the Vertigo label earlier. Um, the the newest re-release of like the saga of the swamp thing with more is the first time any of the swamp thing more and post more uh is ever been published by dc that doesn't even have the vertigo label on it it's like That's officially yeah it's just a weird thing like in the comic book industry it's like it took however many years and now it's like okay now we can officially call this dc it's like oh yeah it's like not nearly as um you almost like kind of think back to like the difference between Cartoon Network and Adult Swim at the time. Yeah. There, yeah. there had to be that kind of split in right. just like what they packaged it as, or else people would kind of freak out. Same channel, but after this point in time, like the shows are going to be more right. alternative. And it's interesting now that it's just like the like if you go on like Adult Swim's app, there's like cartoon network shows like also yeah. to stream but it's interesting that i think just looking at like what alan moore had to work through at the time in terms of like what kind of like obstacles or like creative limitations he might have in terms of what he wants to talk about now it's kind of just the bedrock of good storytelling it's just like how he kind of laid out those those stories really uh really enjoyed the discussion and um the editor uh karen berger who yeah looked to, to create the vertigo uh imprint and some of the, the the things with swamp thing and some titles i mentioned shade the changing man you saw constantine hellblazer and what i adored is that there was something so cool going on uh maybe still is going on you had incredible art covers like art covers dynamic art coverage you had psychedelic uh, psychedelic, yeah like shade the changing man like revamping of characters you had um just some good mature writing good writing about like life in in in, in characters and um so that those things were important they were important for me at the, at that time and it's so deeply connected to this and i think even creatively too um I, i've never kind of apprised for myself how 
important those things have been of having Sandman number one when I first started getting into. I got a death tattoo. Yes. You know, peachy keen tattoo from um from 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 issue issue eight and how prominent. So I'm gonna tell you even practically how prominent um that uh that Neil Gaiman and his ex-wife Amanda Palmer had been to me. I met Neil Gaiman a couple times. He had written his book Good Omens. I met him in Boston. Kind of kind of like meeting your your like literary uh, god and but also um with Amanda Palmer uh and her influence on me on the show of uh her book um The Art of Asking and going in and asking questions and being the philosopher and taking risks and going into places where you might get booed and you know like kind of like rejection type of like going all in and um so I think about them too like two people in the far, as far as the influence uh creatively you know and it's around a swamp thing discussion it's around like the you know like the comic books and the potential for uh creativity and the thing is with comics for me you know comics are super strange or geeky or whatever but for me comics were always mine in mm-hmm. my world and it was almost like like new music you listen to being like, yeah, I want to share it, but I don't want it to get fucked up. Like, I just want to, I want to enjoy my, I want to enjoy my thing. Is that, oh, you mentioned earlier, almost being worried about the new film. Is that part of it? Well, since when you're sensitive to your characters and I don't get like in this whole kind of fan debate, like I just don't participate in it, but I could now on that question, I feel myself towards it because like I would say like it's the type of thing when you're into comics and you see the comics movies. Right. So you any of us could might be able to talk about these characters in a very particular way. And other people who know the the movie TV type of thing, what, what are you talking about? That's not part of the what i saw on the movie yeah right part of who they are so like the who they are part of it i think swamping is such an incredible character that like you won't at the end you can't mess him up at the end of the day unless Mm -hmm. like you're completely like willful being like i want to eradicate the usefulness of this character right right i am worried though maybe as a fan or something i guess part of me was like I was blown away when I read that, when I, you know, I heard that the DC had released the slate of all the movies are going to make for their first part. And I'm going through and I was like, that makes sense. That's cool. Oh, that's interesting. And then I get to Swamp Thing and I was just like, what? Like massive directors too. I'm trying to remember the like big, like I'm going to, they going to fill fit it in between one of the new star Wars type of things. So I'm forgetting. I think it's James Mangold. Yeah. Who may, you know, he's made some incredible, like the, you know, he's done well, the Logan, like one of the best, you know, superhero movies, maybe more recently. Um, but I was just, I thought it was rad. Like, and it opened up, like, if they're going with, if they're making him so prominently, to me, it was like, um, as we're, you know, talking about kind of the obscure corners, right? Like Neil Gaiman, what I love about Neil Gaiman is like his stories are so freaking weird. Sandman, all of these things, when they were coming out, they were edgy and weird and it was obscure. They're so weird. It was like punk rock not intended to become popular, right? Like, and then all of a sudden, every one of Neil Gaiman's stories is being made into a film or a TV show. And like Alan Moore, the popularity is like explosive and 
like all the things I loved as a child that were kind of like made fun of are now actually cornerstones of pop culture. And it's like exciting, but weird. And um, but if they're bringing Swampy into it, right, like that's just a door that opens up this massive corner of the obscurity of the DC universe, which has never really been explored. And maybe that's what James Gunn and and what's the other guy's name are trying to go after. Right. Um, we'll 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 see. Hey, um. Uh, Swamp Ken, after this question from uh, that I'll lodge at M, I want you to talk about uh, what I know uh, less of as the animated series after I ask uh, Absolutely. A, 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 M, M this question. M, uh, so now uh, here's some of the things I noticed within the orchids um, yeah. in, in Swamp Thing and in the movie, and you see all the flora and such within the comic book, but... Um, so with that, when I was watching the Swamp Thing movie, my head could not get around um, in Twin Peaks, uh, the character that Laura Palmer visits. Oh, I'm forgetting his name right now, um, who is attending to the orchids very uh, delicately and the orchids representing <laughs> the, uh, Laura Palmer's um, uh, kind of the delicacy of it or, or something like that, but orchids are big. And, 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 and of course the um, quick seduction scene uh, between cable and uh, Alec Holland out on the boat, getting the tour is uh, expositions about the uh, orchids and the grand uh, beauty of the universe and, and love. And one scene I saw Swamp Thing huffing, I call it huffing. He was. Yeah, he was really getting in there to sniff that like orchid. Yeah. Freaking orchid. Um, so we can't <laughs> we can't leave the territory of, of, of the Swamp Thing discussion without some of the uh, orchid uh, necessary information and what you saw. Yeah. So, well, first, the orchids they use in the movie, I just want to be real clear. Those are not native orchids okay they definitely got those at like trader joe's like slapped them into the ground it was very distracting for my brain because i was sitting there going what orchid is that and like do you think they just left them there my husband had to literally be like please watch the movie like we're not here to discuss the orchid conundrum you've now gotten us involved in um but those are not native orchids but we do have orchids that are native to several different regions within the united states um in louisiana i believe out of all the different counties they have 60 of 65 have native orchid species whoa which is very interesting given the range in that state of climate types and obviously like as we get into florida and much of the american south that is where most of our native orchid species live and orchids have always perplexed us, partially because they are so beautiful and delicate, but they're also very resilient in their native habitat. So I think they become widely used as a symbol of like the delicate balance of nature, where when everything is right and balanced, it can be really, really beautiful and extremely unique. But it's also very delicate. It's very delicate balance. And so we have to be careful about keeping our conditions balanced to be able to support that beauty. And I think that's kind of why those orchids make sense. And that movie is really about like kind of balancing that dichotomy. The uh, orchids in there, and it wasn't because of the scientific basis, which made it probably <laughs> difficult for you to watch or to somehow get through that amount of time. But when they show up on the screen, I'm like, those things look like they're from outer space, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's like the color scheme. It's like, you know, there's, oh, this, there, there's this cool 
you know, swampy and when the cuts in there with the graveyard or the kind of flooded out, they kind of like creepy area. And then there's like alien flower. <laughs> it looks like. Yeah, no. And I think that's what's so interesting about orchids. They never really look normal or uh, in place and they're all so different. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons that orchids perplex so many of us is they always kind of look like they've been dropped out of space into nature. Um, especially if you haven't, I would encourage you to do like a quick search of native orchids in Louisiana. A lot of them look very scary. Um, and there's the ghost orchid, which I think is like everyone's orchid. If you're an orchid fan listening, um, hello. But ghost orchids don't even have leaves. So they photosynthesize just through their roots. And most orchids don't have roots that go in the ground. So they all have aerial roots. They grow from like the humidity in the air. That's why that's so important to them. And that's why if you have an orchid, you have to get that special medium. It's because they grow through aerial roots. And these roots have evolved to just photosynthesize themselves. So they don't have leaves of any kind, which is so What weird. are you telling us, Em? I know. They're what? so cool. They're so what? cool. We'll talk about them on the show at some point. I won't oh, take like four goodness. hours on them, but oh, they're really goodness. interesting. They bring us a lot of really interesting things like vanilla bean is famously from orchids. So yeah, we could talk about, I could talk about orchids for like eight days, but. Wow. Uh, you know, we have the problem of trying to figure out how to handle the material over, over time, I'm... but I, I, I am fascinated by, by, by what I uh, heard, and maybe there's more to the orchid than just a, a seduction technique by a creeping, lurking uh, doctor over the new recruitee from Washington, D.C., after the last two operators, workers got eaten up by crocodiles. Hopefully it's much more than that, the orchid. I think certainly it's much more than that. Yeah, it 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 definitely is getting us back out of that realm. Swamp Ken, uh, does the uh, animation, the cartoon uh, that you know well, do justice to the delicacy of the orchid, or is this a different enterprise? No, I think it's one hundred percent in line with all of the uh, intentions and ideologies of the orchid. <laughs> now when i first listened to the and I, I did watch some of the animated show um was the theme along the lines of wild thing except it was swamp thing yeah it, incredible uh like going back and watching that show you can see how clearly it was just them saying let's take captain planet and mash that up with the toxic avenger series <laughs> Because it's that's all it is, and it's it could be better. Um, I watched like a few episodes this morning, and was just like waiting for it to get from my like to get sick of it. Didn't happen. I could just have it on loop, and it's probably what I did like uh, when I was younger, and why I was so enamored with it. I think the like the drawing and animation style. Um, really really lovely and just like the approach to storytelling is just boneheaded and love and just want they lean into what the show is uh supposed to be which is just like early 90s just explosions kind of like x-men fights uh it was awesome i would recommend it it's on pluto tv 
so it's free. I was going to ask. I want to go watch it right now. I yeah, I think yeah, and the theme song is Wild Thing. So they paid the rights to get Wild Thing. That blew then, my mind because it's just the song. It's a swamp thing. And I'm like, that's and, cool. I'm thinking. And it's been in my head. Like, every then I remember it. And then it's in my head all day. Um, and they, like, do, they rewrite the rest of the song because I think they have, like, verses in, like, the outro that they yeah, show. Yeah, it's rewritten. It's like, I, I mean, I was startled. You know, and I'm like, because I immediately thought of the rights question, which is probably not the aesthetic thing that they want me thinking of. I mean, how the fuck do you do that? And it was like, uh, it's a lot know, of money just to throw in. I, it, well, you know, a good portion of the good portion of the of the of the budget. Um, it's a weird time for animation. I think you would agree, Swamp Ken, and maybe others. Early 1990s in the elements that you're talking about being. Uh, attempting um to be combined in that type of way um i wanted to tell uh listeners just for the quick uh piece um i had told the panelists about my uh swamp thing funko pop and what's really strange about it that i told in um i i i still know is a bit disturbing to um our, our incredible expert m but the swamp thing uh funko while it's not plastic right no plastics went into the making of this Funko Pop. It's a weird green, felty dust catching. It's not a very practical, useful uh, uh, item. But its special feature was smelling like a Glade or carpet freshener that you put on on, on your carpet. Highly artificial. Um, and, and it smells that way. And I've had this for five or six years. And I told the panel that if you scratch it, unlike some of those little children books where you had scratched and sniffed all you ever could, this swamp thing still smells, which makes me shudder at the chemicals involved with this. The avatar of the plants, the great protector, maybe the reason why there's something rather than nothing smells like a carpet. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, uh, Swamp Ken, thank you so much for directing us um, towards uh, the animated. Um, I wanted to mention some pieces maybe for our thinking, kind of telling the the some uh, listeners or, you know, things we were talking about back behind this. Um, the Alan Moore uh, run on Swamp Thing is, 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 is a famous uh, run. Uh, we haven't gotten into a lot of back history. Maybe we'll do that in the future, but the early issues uh, from Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson, uh, which created uh, a Swamp Thing and some of the Canon uh, stories and characters and names you'll find um, beautiful, uh, in, in, incredible work. Uh, many, Writers uh, that we respect have had their hand uh, at this. Brian K. Vaughn, who's known for um, the saga, uh, incredible saga comic series. Um, uh, Mark Millar of uh, of uh, Kick-Ass uh, fame and other uh, titles. Um, Jeff Lemire, who's one of my favorite comic book writers, uh, period, had a hand at Swamp Thing in a, a series called uh, uh, Green Hell. When it comes to Hellblazer, some of the comics that I mentioned, I truly adore uh, Peter Milligan's writing on Hellblazer and, and Constantine. Um, the animated series that Swamp Ken uh, referred to, uh, Craig went deep 
into um into alan moore this uh swamp thing return of the swamp thing we're talking about dcu uh a movie coming out when i dropped into this and trying to talk about swamp thing i did not know how much was there i was i was really surprised there's the 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 justice dark uh justice league dark with swamp thing on it um i wanted to I wanted to just kind of mention some of the things in the background of everything uh, we're 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 talking about here. Any other pieces any of the panelists bumped into or feel worthy of mention uh, besides my other uh, weird Funko Pop carpet freshener swamp thing? I think they made a novelization of each of the movies too, which is like what? so counter. Like, because the movies are such a oversimplified version and then they just make that back into a novel so it's i uh am deeply fascinated by the novelization because what if the cable that i want exists in those written words and the west craven trap and what they wanted to do with great actress fighter adrian barbeau was uh not up to all her capabilities and what it should have been uh i am going to look for those novelizations i've been reading comic books around this era and have popped into and i'll share these pictures with the show uh pictures of how this was advertised in comics the swamp thing i got a beautiful kind of smaller paperback collection of the original run a uh, kind of a, a tough item to find um in black and white um mm. uh, so it bumped into a lot more of uh wonderful things but um i think what'll be interesting is when we see that single movie and some of the dynamics we talk about what what might happen i think it would be so cool to have like somehow corral all the power and everything a swamp thing and uh i haven't talked to them about this any writing or uh, consultant work that needs to be done regarding plants i'm sure m grabner gaddis would like would be interested in any sort of union rate work uh, regarding consultation yeah. <laughs> uh for plants on this or other aspects of the of, of the lore um i want to ask each one of you uh uh, in in kind of uh, looking to wrap up here, I'm going to start with uh, Craig. Why is Swamp Thing important? Um, oh, I think for a lot of reasons. I think on a not even a shallow level, but on maybe a more personal level that I think we've all expressed. Um, I think he he and other characters like him. I always think about, especially as a writer and, and someone that loves stories, I think about why certain characters are in culture more than others and why they're important. Like, I think Batman is probably one of the single most famous superheroes, right? Um, why do his movies make more money? Why does why has he sold more comics in history than any other character? I think there's an element about him. And this is going to Swamp Thing. Um, but, uh, you know. I think he represents a lot of our human plights. Like he is this frail or kind of cracked being in a shattered world. I think that kind of reflects us. But Swamp Thing, I think, um, kind of almost represents this obscurity in culture. So like lovers of that, like us. And then as you know, he's kind of coming into popularity, like 
I think the culture is shifting a lot, right? And and we're um, we're seeing kind of he's also this really awesome nod. I meant to mention this earlier. He's an incredible nod to like classic monster stories. Whereas you were you were comparing Ken to like the other horror movies of the era, and it was interesting because in all the other ones, that monster is the bad guy. Mm-hmm. But in yeah. Swamp, one of the things I love about Swamp Thing is that he's the monster, but he's the hero. He's uh, and I think there's something innately actually human about that, regardless of how much he loses his humanity. But I think in in more kind of terms, maybe with more gravity, like in our in the world we're living in today, right? We're in an era like the Anthropocene that's one of the driving forces of modern world. The modern world is humans' relationship with nature. And are we destroying it? Are we going to finally reconcile and and do that. And part of me wants to believe that Swamp Thing is becoming more and more relevant because he is the champion of the green, the forest. And he is actually pretty indifferent to people in a lot of iterations, right? And there's this element of, you know, like we were talking in like some of the cartoon movies even where it's like, hey, the people are going to die. And he's just like, that's great. Plants will thrive. Um, But you know, here we are, we have this being that's like part human, part plant, literally like the physical embodiment of that. Um, I'm excited and thrilled to see where that type of story goes um, as we try to reconcile that. And, you know, as we try to thrive as a species, and then there's this dark reality that like, I've, I've been thinking about since, you know, coming on here with you guys is, well, even at, even if and when people go away, Life will still be here. The world will still be here. Plants will still be here. <laughs> and there's something uh, scary and profound about that, right? Um, swamp thing will still be here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Word up. Uh, swamp Ken. Swamp Ken. Uh, why, uh, why is Swamp Thing important? Oh, Swamp Thing is important to me. It was one of the gateways into weird art. I think even when the show came out, I don't know exactly who they were marketing it to me, but I think at the time there were so many cartoons like the Toxic Avenger, Swamp Thing, Street Sharks, where it was just this kind of like love of mutation in like the early 90s, which I don't think we get that much of now. Um, And it's interesting for me to look back on all these shows and even in the approach to drawing, uh, the approach to line and mark making, how much of that has at least stayed when I look at my work now or it's how it's developed, how a part of how a big of a part it played and how it seemed to always kind of find a way to influence me. So I think as the character kind of evolves across different mediums, there's always like different ways to like engage with the story, which I think means a lot to all of us. Mm. Yeah. Thanks. 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 Swamp Ken. Uh, everybody make sure you check out, uh, the paintings of, uh, Kenneth Nicholson, um, the writing and art of Craig Randall M M you drop some, you drop some straight up truth forward moving theory, basically a, potentially about the constitution of swamping in and of 
Swamp Thing itself. But uh, why is Swamp Thing important to you? Um, well, I discovered Swamp Thing at a time in my life where I was really struggling with my mental health and really struggling to feel like a whole person. And I think that's obviously kind of fundamental to him as well as he battles with like his own feelings of humanity and his role in the world as it's changing. Um, so I think that really spoke to me. And I think it speaks to a lot of us, not only on the panel, but just in general, as we get more confident and open talking about our mental health and as we're forced to really reckon with how humanity fits in with nature and how it can be so beautiful to evolve in nature and be a part of it and how we feel great when we're a part of it, but also see like the kind of threatening or scarier side of nature and the fact that it is an unrelenting force and it will go on with or without us. So I think that's kind of why we're seeing it become more and more relevant today. Yeah, that's it's 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 really powerful too. And I I, I even connected in my head because we end up bouncing around it but you know like thinking just more deeply as far as the constitution of who we are i get you know i've been a i've been a vegan for 27 years and it, this might sound like the strangest thing in the world but i haven't thought about like that or within the context of this discussion i'm thinking about like constituent properties like i am more plant or like you know like mm. that that type of idea and tied to um um, like just kind of like the environmental uh, components in that indifference, right? They're, like thinking about Swamp Thing having an indifference, it'd be fucking lame if like Swamp Thing was like, oh, I have no like direct connection to anymore, but those, you know, fumbling fools deserve my like pity and sympathy. He's like, like you were saying, uh, Swamp Can, like uh, Hellblazer going in, like, uh, let me trick you, like care about these people because like, they're fucking everything up, right? Like, <laughs> you know, so it's like, yeah. um, it, it's it's um, but um, no, I really, I really, uh, I, I really enjoyed the the discussion and and then thinking about um the mental health. I, I thought about there's a piece there that no matter what I think, whether it works or not, but even with the movies or any of the stories that are told around Swamp Thing, is that loneliness, right? Is mm -hmm. that like when we think about humanity, less humanity, more is like we can kind of maybe giggle about it, you know, because if it seems yeah. schlocky, but underneath it, like everybody's looking at it and being like, OK, what's this nice, like seemingly, you know, powerful figure who's trying to regenerate, uh, give life and trying to protect like, you know, like, what do you do, you know, and um, I don't it seems uh rather rather uh rather fertile and uh geez uh here it is swamp thing rather than nothing um this 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 is this is the episode the panel episode i want to thank you artists and creators so much for your contributions to what i called at the beginning this is going to be a monster okay this is going to be a monster, and uh, I think we 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 got it. Want to thank you for all your thinking uh, about Swamp Thing. Uh, future episodes, thinking about the the thing or uh, Hellblazer, uh, Constantine. Goodness gracious! I heard it mentioned at least two or three times. The greatest superhero ever from Northern New Jersey, the Toxic Avenger. Yes. As 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 as. as uh, uh, 
I won't even say any more, but coming out of this conversation, the, the strongest, most durable protector of northern New Jersey, the Toxic Avenger, that could be a topic. Um, thank you, folks. I uh, want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Swamp Thing rather than nothing episode. Peace out. This is Something Rather Than Nothing 